to the Leo Roundtable Law Enforcement Talk Show. Yes, we're live from the Boss Hog Radio Studios in Plant City, Florida. My name is Chip DeBlock, and I'm your host, and we're a group of law enforcement professionals to talk about today's news and issues, but we do it from a law enforcement perspective. Let me introduce the crew. Guys, if you don't mind waiting for the video portion of our show, yes, we have Major Travis Shates. He is back. So uh, you can find more about him at TravisShates.org. Also, uh, Captain Brett Bartlett from the Tampa Bay area. Uh, Defense at com. So thanks for being on the show, guys. Appreciate it. Also, a shout out to our sponsors. We have Gauls, AUFire.com, GunLearn.com, BlueTheGold.com, and MyMedicare.live. A shout out to Brian Burns with the free press at TampaFP.com for carrying our content. And Ray Dietrich, you know, we're streaming to eight locations right now. That's in addition to all the live radio stations we're on. And Three of those locations belong to Ray Dietrich with Red Voice Media, and those three Facebook pages alone have about a million followers. So, yeah, we're, even though we're streaming live to YouTube right now, uh, we don't do um, segmented shows to YouTube anymore, and we're really not missing YouTube too much. So thanks to Ray Dietrich and uh, Brian Burns for helping make this stuff happen. Uh, guys, we got some great new, great lineups. I, I know I always say that, but we, we honestly do. Now, when I say deep, I mean the first topic is deep, and, and I'm going to – I'm going to have to go, I don't know, a, a little bit into this thing, but we're, we're dealing with two great guys in order to dummy this down and, and listen to the topic, guys. So people that are watching, listen to the show and watching us, you know, uh, visually and, of course, listening audibly, uh, we have Ken Wallentine, one of our favorites on Police One that wrote this article. It's, it's, it's quoted as saying, requiring passenger to provide identification was lawful. Now, it talks about, Look, everybody that's listening to the show, I don't care whether you're a cop or a civilian, you know, you should be interested in this. The laws change, so we're going from a federal level, but he does cover how the laws change state to state. But when you're in a vehicle and you're not the driver, look, we know that, you know, when you're driving, you get pulled over, you're going to have to furnish identification. How else are they going to cite you, right? So uh, they have the right. But what about when you're a passenger? Because we have passengers that claim up all the time. You don't have the right to ask me for my identification. I'm not going to give it to you. And that's okay, I'm going to pull you through the window. You're going to have to give it to me. I'm going to charge you with uh, resisting arrest without violence, all these other things. So so what is just uh, just gibberish, you know, ad lib stuff or, or what's what's on the money legally? Let's 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 go there and find out. So in Johnson versus Naco officers, no, Naco, uh, I believe that's uh, yeah, Chris Naco, the sheriff in Pasco County. So, yeah, a little close to home to where some of us are at. Officers often encounter situations uh, where obtaining vehicle passengers identification would be a helpful, sometimes even a vital safety measure. The rules on demanding identification, they're tricky, and it depends on state law in most situations. In the following case that we're getting ready to talk about, they're going to explore the rules and review what we know is permissible during traffic stops. Now, in this particular case, three deputies stopped the vehicle that were towing a, that was towing a motorcycle on a trailer because the trailer's license tag was obscured. The deputies were accompanied by film crew at the time, and it was on AE. It's that television program called Live PD. So, yeah, everything's being filmed on this one, right? And it ends up you know, being uh, going to court. Deputy James Dunn with the Pasco County Sheriff's Office approaches the front passenger side of the vehicle, and he gets the driver's license and, he, and the registration. So he's on the passenger side of the vehicle, but he's getting this stuff from the driver on the other side of the car, right? But he's just doing it on the safe side. Uh, there were two passengers in the car. Deputy Dunn asked uh, Marquez Johnson, who's the front seat passenger, if he had identification. So Johnson replies that he's merely a passenger in the car and he's not required to identify himself. So then Deputy Dunn tells him that Florida law requires him to identify himself and that if Johnson does not identify himself, the deputy is going to pull him out 
probably through the window, I imagine, and he would go to jail for resisting. So the driver, who was Johnson's father, tells the deputies his son's name so that he doesn't have to witness his son getting dragged out, right? So Deputy Dunn asked a police service dog handler to do a sniff of the vehicle's exterior. So he calls, you know, K-9 in to do a, you know, they're sniffing for drugs and stuff. He orders Johnson out of the vehicle. Johnson, at this point, complies. Deputy Dunn uh, told another deputy, I'm going to take him in no matter what because he's resisting me. And he resisted Johnson for resisting without violence. So the uh, charges against Johnson were dismissed by state court. Johnson sued in federal court alleging false arrest, violation of due process, and constitutional claims against the Pasco County Sheriff's Office, Sheriff Chris Nocco, for negligent hiring, retention, training, and supervision. So he slammed him at the agency and also the sheriff for the training. The defendants asked the trial court to dismiss Johnson's, the passenger's claim, pursuant to the doctrine of qualified immunity. So they wanted to give the cop, the cop uh, you know, qualified immunity off of, you know, frivolous lawsuits, protect him civilly from getting sued. But the trial court denies this request. So the, the deputy stole the hook. The appellate court divided an analysis in the two parts. First, um, whether the Fourth Amendment bars an officer from asking a passenger to, to, passenger to identify himself unless the officer has reason to suspect the passenger is committed, was in the process of committing, or is likely to commit a criminal offense, right? Um, and also the second part of this was at the time Johnson was stopped, uh, the law was clearly established that an officer could not ask a passenger to identify himself absent reasonable suspicion. So was a reasonable suspicion for that? So first, the deputies were authorized under federal law. So this is where it gets a little tricky. Under federal law, deputies were authorized to require Johnson, the passenger, to get out of the car. And it goes on to talk about how the U.S. Supreme Court has made rulings. The Bright Line Rule talks about a bunch of different cases. And officers, they don't need to be in suspicion or fear to require a driver to get out of the vehicle. And then 20 years later, the court said that states, uh, you know, they changed the rule and said that passengers in a lawfully stopped car, you know, the same grounds can apply. You can have you can have people stay in the car or get out of the car. And then it talks about conversely, uh, courts have ruled that officers may require drivers and passengers to remain inside, like I just mentioned. And so it gives cops because of safety uh, a little bit more rules to play with on this thing. But let's let's uh, get more to the nitty gritty of this thing. It goes on to say that um, the majority of courts hold that the officer may ask and some distinguish between asking and requiring a passenger's identification. Because remember, we can ask. We can ask for anything. Doesn't mean you have to give it to us. But now if we say you have to, and you're going to go to the jail. That's a different story. So when an officer asks for passenger identification and a passenger declines to provide it, the officer may be limited in one enforcement, if any, he can follow. The Supreme Court noted that refusal, refusal to cooperate without more does not furnish the minimal level of uh, objective justification that you need uh, to detain uh, or, see some, or see someone. So, And it gives the court cases. It cites those. So the court said that the officer may ask the detainee a moderate number of questions to determine his identity and to try to obtain information confirming or dispelling the officer's suspicions. But the passenger is generally not obligated to respond. And unless the detainee's answers provide the officer with more information that leads to probable cause to arrest him, he's got to be released. So the use of um, the state statute to arrest a person for refusing to identify oneself during a lawful Terry stop, all right, stop and frisk, it violates the Fourth Amendment's uh, uh, prescription against reasonable searches and seizures. Now, in Johnson's case, the majority opinion noted that the state Supreme Court would likely uphold a conviction for failure to identify oneself as required by state statute. And that is a similar approach to the Supreme Court decision in a Hebel case where the Supreme Court upheld the arrest for failure to identify only because the initial stop was based on reasonable suspicion. And the state law specifically required the production of identification during an investigative detention because they had, quote, reasonable suspicion. So that's the nuts and bolts of this. Um, 
I know a lot of people listening to the show are wondering, hey, I get stopped. They want to see my ID. You know, when do I have to give my ID? Now, I mean, God forbid these people just comply with the law enforcement officer's commands and then complain to IA or the state attorney's office later. But that's not what we're talking about. So uh, that said, guys, what kind of enlightenment can uh, can you guys bring to this for our civilians listening to the show that want to know? Travis? Well, uh, you did a pretty good job there, Chip, of going through the the case law on it. And of course, the state case law can be a little more stricter against law enforcement than federal law. That's what you're seeing in some of those cases. But, you know, uh, from a law enforcement perspective, this is pretty much what we've been working under for a long time. Uh, if the passenger is not under any type of investigation, there's no reasonable suspicion that they've committed a crime. Sometimes you have to just swallow your old pride and let them um, not tell you. And, you know, there's always sort of ways around it, right? Cops are great about this stuff. Like, if I pull the and, I, and I've had to let cars drive away, not knowing who all was in the car that I understand it from an officer standpoint of why we, we may push it a little too far because you sort of get that little instinct like, well, how come they're not telling me and what, what else do I not know? Well, sometimes they get to win that day and maybe you get to win a different day in a different way. But, you know, oftentimes you pull the driver out because you do have a reason to uh, talk to him and get his ID. And many times the driver will, you know, he will voluntarily tell you everybody who's in the car oftentimes. So there's always ways around it not to violate uh, established case law. And this takes sort of a, I would say a seasoned officer because, you know, listen, if I was a, you know, one year officer and this happens, I'm, I'm acting a lot differently than when I'm, than I'm on 10 years. Right. You just have to sort of understand, man, there are some days that you don't get everything you want. But there'll be other days if they're truly a bad guy, right? You will, it will come around and karma will visit them one day soon enough. So. Your mic is off, Chip. Can you off. Yeah, now can you I can. Me? All right. Um, you know, I think that, you know, a lot of people assume they know the law. I mean, and they don't. And especially if you're going state to state, like Travis just said. Guys, don't assume that you know what the law is. Because if you're wrong, it's a heavy price to pay. Um, Captain? Well, first off, uh, people need to know what their rights are. They don't, you know, and we shouldn't have to tell them what their rights are. But if you consider a passenger, a passenger is not doing any behavior subject to police jurisdiction or state jurisdiction. The driver is. The driver is exercising a privilege that the state has granted in the form of a driver's license. That's why the law says you must identify yourself as a driver. As a passenger, no, you don't have to. And like Travis said, I'd love to be able to know everything about everybody in that car. But sometimes you just can't. Yeah. So uh, interesting article. Um, guys, my advice is always comply. And if they're wrong, comply later. I'm Brett shaking his head. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we think there's been more than one occasion where these guys think they know the law. And they learn the hard way when they're in jail. But look, our first commercial break, we'll be right back. All right. Look, we're going to take some time. We're going to talk about AU Fire. And it's at AUFire.com. And AU Fire stands for Accuracy Under Fire. It's at AUFire.com. And now agencies can prepare their LEOs, law enforcement officers, for the mental challenges associated with being wounded on duty, forcing them to adapt, problem solve, refocus, and overcome to effectively neutralize the threat. Now, AUFire.com has the only option to safely prepare LEOs for the instant, intense, random, and distracting immobilization of a body part, and it's due to a debilitating wound. So AUFire.com, they've got cool videos on the website and, you know, this is a cool product. And, uh, you know, I, I want us to go in and, and, and talk about it just briefly. But you basically wear a, a, a sleeves and a vest and somebody else is controlling the TENS unit. And you're in a gunfight 
and it's simulated. It maybe it's simulations or maybe you're on a, on a range and you seize up. You don't know if he's going to activate what body part, your chest or whatever, but it simulates being shot. And guys, it is just um, it's just amazing because then you have to transition to your non-dominant hand. You have to get return fire accuracy, which actually improves. So, uh, what do you guys think? We got twenty seconds. I think that any training that involves the psychomotor domain of learning, and that's a real term, psychomotor domain, is good for cops. Standing in front of cops and telling them doesn't work. You got to get them involved. Yeah. HZ Heads, listen to this. You got to get this. AUFire.com. Go there, AUFire.com, and check it out. Welcome back to the Leo Roundtable Law Enforcement Talk Show. We're still live from the Boss Hog Radio Studios in Plant City, Florida. You know, and talk about this last case, you know, one thing I did not mention, you know, remember the qualified immunity got yanked, you know, from the deputies and uh, the appellate court actually uh, said that they, they granted it. And, and there were three justices, but two of the justices couldn't agree on it. And the third justice said, well, if you guys can't agree on it, it's not a clearly established law, you know, law that's been broken then. So I'm, we're just going to give it to them if it's that confusing, you know, so that's the way they decided that one. So, and, and look, we've talked about qualified immunity quite a bit on the show. And of course, qualified means that they have to qualify for it. So the you know, cops don't get it automatically. It's something that you don't have until you qualify for it. Uh, but it's meant to do away with frivolous lawsuits, at least your liability. So this is not criminal case. This is just civil stuff. You know, you got it, someone filing a civil, you know, lawsuit against you for, you know, violation of your civilian rights or whatever, you know, but no, no criminal part of this at all. Captain Bartlett. Traffic stops are a, a part of a, a, a daily part of a cop's existence. They are the bread and butter of his existence. They need to be trained. What can you can and cannot do? This is very basic level stuff here, right? Um, because you don't know what's going to go on when you pull a car, but you need to know, can I have them out? Can I demand ID? What are my powers involved with this person? You better know that all at that point because that's that's every day yeah yeah chip we spent a quite a bit of time in the training academy basic academy's kind of scaring the cops saying you know follow policy follow training follow case law and you're not going to get sued you'll have the qualified immunity and for the most part that's true but we have to know we have to know policy and training and and like i tell cops you know the best way to not lose half your stuff is don't get married uh you're really not going to lose it uh you know on the job if, if, if only Brett had known you earlier in his lifetime. <laughs> Sorry. Did I say that out loud? I, I was muted when I said that, right, Jimmy? You better, you better be just thinking that. Yeah. yeah. If I was that officer and I was getting trouble over this, I would hire an attorney and I would make that sheriff's office prove that I was taught that, that I was taught properly. If he's just sitting in the classroom, so what? If I teach my people and my instructors, if it's important enough to teach, it's important enough to test. Wow. So I, I would make that agency pull out a piece of paper that said this deputy was, was instructed on this item and this test item proved that he learned it. If not, I'm walking. Yeah, well, that move may not be great for longevity with the agency. Anyhow, Brett, so him walking, I don't know if it makes a difference, but yeah. Uh, no, I, I don't mean I don't mean leave. What I mean is this: if you're going to punish me because oh. of something that I was supposed to know, you need to prove that you taught me it, and you need to prove that I that I exhibited that behavior. Hey, I, it makes perfect sense. I mean, look, we're all all the all three of us are trainers that are on the show today, and uh, and it makes perfect sense. And it's not asking for too much. So yeah. Um, so moving along, thanks, guys. Great commentary on these on these topics. You know, our next one. On Police One, LAPD officers not justified in shooting of a mentally ill man 
police commission rules. I've been talking with you this whole time, okay? And, and so leave me alone, dear. Okay, but I gotta talk to you outside. Hey, I will tase you. Put the knife down or I tase you, understand? Put it down. You put it down. Do you understand that? You already tased me. I did not tase you. You didn't tase me in there? Look at this. You need to Look, Look you need to come with me or I will tase you if you pick up that knife. Do you understand? Oh, come out, you guys and I. Hit him with a missile. Hit him with a missile. I'm to hand it to you, okay? Mr. White. Hey, Mr. White. Get off the bike. Taser, taser, taser. Taser, taser. Hey. Have a taser. Second taser, second taser. He's got the knife underneath him. He's got the knife underneath him. Now look, LAPD, I mean, they're they're so screwed up over there in L.A., it's ridiculous. And I, I put a lot of this on on the chief, Michael Moore, uh, who's, you know, got, uh, you know, our, our, um, our girl, Tony McBride, that we're huge fans of. Uh, you know, he's got her sitting on the porch half the time. Uh, but anyhow, that said, this is a police commission, civilian police commission that's making this ruling. So take this with a grain of salt. Although I'm not saying the officers can't get jammed up, but the agency's not backing up the cops. So, and there is a, a, a video that I found and hopefully you guys got that. I, I sent it out uh, that's associated with this. And look, for any story that's got a video component to our listeners, um, we understand that a lot of you guys are audibly listening to the show. So stay loyal to your podcast or to your radio station that's bringing you this content. And we take the same live show, you know, we're Monday through Friday, 12 to one o'clock during the lunch hour on Eastern time. And we reproduce this live show, but we embed it with the videos that we talk about. And we put pictures of the good guys and the bad guys. And we do that Tuesday through Saturday at nine o'clock in the morning on our rumble channel. And then of course we plaster that all over social media. So it makes for a great way to watch the show. So if you absolutely have to see the video component, we offer it that way on a rumble channel the very next day at nine in the morning. So we're in LA right now. We have two LA cops. They violated, according to our civilian commission, department rules on lethal force by shooting and killing a schizophrenic man who barricaded himself in a cramped kitchen as officers ordered him to drop his knife. And this is what the police uh, police commission, the civilian police commission, ruled on Tuesday. So the decision marked the second time in recent weeks that the commission found that city officers were not facing an imminent threat when they used force against someone in the throes of a mental health crisis. Now, remember, the standard of force changed in California and from, uh, you know, it went from reasonable to necessary. Now, furthermore, officials concluded that the officer's attempts in January to coax to Carr Smith out of the kitchen, that they were undermined by a combination of poor planning, questionable tactics, and a disregard for protocols that direct officers to summon the department's mental health unit for these occasions. They, mental health unit's not there, guys. They got to sit and wait, right? So the incident came after Smith's wife, Shamika, called police January the 2nd, reported her husband had violated a restraining order because he showed up at her apartment and it got violent. So she mentioned several times that he had not been taking his medication to, to treat schizophrenia. 
but the information was not relayed over a radio transmission dispatching officers to the scene. So they didn't get that info. Rather, a dispatcher informed the responding officers that Smith said that he intended to fight police. So by a for the O tally, the commission agreed that Chief Michael Moore's findings that Officer Joseph Zizzo and Officer Nicholas Alejandre acted improperly when they fired a combination of seven rounds at Smith, who used a pair of bikes to create a barrier between himself and the police as he stood in the kitchen holding a knife. He didn't just stand holding He was had the knife over his head like he's charging the officers. After officers shocked Smith several times with a taser, he was knocked to his knees, lost control of the blade, and then officers opened fire, but they only opened fire after he picked up the knife again. So I don't like the way they worded that article. Chief Moore agreed with an internal force review board that said the officer uh, Alejandre and his partner, uh, Lopez Alonso, had sufficient time to contact the mental health evaluation unit. It pairs officers and social workers to de-escalate standoffs Lopez Alonso was a probationary officer at the time, and neither she nor the other officer considered contacting that unit, the MEU unit, nor did they relay information about Smith's history of schizophrenia to other responding officers, including Zillow. Well, it was probably because they were never given it by dispatch, but uh, it kind of goes on and on. Uh, we got we got just seconds here before our, we come up for our, our break, so um, why don't we uh, we'll hold the uh, the commentary until we get back from our second commercial break. But very interesting case, guys. So, hey, let's take our, um, let's see, we got, what, 25 seconds here? Um, from the outside, looking in at this, these cops are in a world of hurt because they work for an agency that's not backing them up. Um, I was not, I, I thought the video was compelling, but I didn't see any, I wasn't convinced the chief not backing them up was all that. So, uh, commercial break, we'll be right back. All right, guys, now it's time to talk about Gauls, and I should say the new Gauls at Gauls.com slash Leo, and hopefully Captain Brett Bartlett can help me out with this one. And if you guys have been watching the show for any amount of time, you should be familiar with the new goals at goals.com slash Leo. And yes, they're the country's leading uniform clothing, equipment, and gear provider for law enforcement. And they have a variety of offerings, everything from multi-tools and flashlights to duty boots and tactical gear. And as a famous person named Captain Brett Bartlett once said, they pretty much have everything for law enforcement except for guns and ammo. Captain, what's going on at Goals this, this uh, week here? Well, it's a good thing I'm sitting down, Chip, because if I was standing up, I'd be falling over. 25% off site-wide. Some items, many items, 50% off. If you don't jump on this today, you're going to be leaving a lot of lot of savings on the table. So take a look at it. Now, Brett, um, hopefully you've left them some items that are not sold out by the time you get done. So just try to do that for, for our listeners. Well, but, yeah. well, Chip, my fingers get tired of buying so much stuff, so I'm taking a little break right now. Got to love it. Goals.com slash Leo. Let's talk about Medicare insurance options. There's over 80 options in just Hillsborough County alone. Now, the benefits can change annually. So how do you know that you're getting the benefits for your specific health care needs? The answer is simple. Contact MyMedicare.Live or call area code 813-245-6656, especially if you're in the Tampa Bay area. Talk to James or Bobby. Meet with them in person. They'll save you money on your medication co-pays. Find plans that your doctors accept and get more of the benefits that you qualify for. So again, mymedicare.live. All right, guys, welcome back to the Leo Roundtable Law Enforcement Talk Show. Yes, still live from the Boss Hog Radio Studios in Plant City, Florida. Yeah, Travis, I saw you kind of bobbing your head to that polka a little bit. Uh, yeah, you apparently like that, don't you? But look, uh, hey, talking about this this uh, this last story, I just finished uh, you know, you know, discussing it. Uh, are these cops in a world of hurt, Captain Brett, or what? I think that... Well, of course, yeah. I mean, their department said they're in a world of hurt. Therefore, it must be true, right? And you know, they were there legally doing a police thing. They had they had an obligation to to enforce the law as the law is written. And these knuckleheads that were on this other board, they have no idea what the streets like. Now, if I were these cops, 
I would get send my attorney to the training unit, pull the training records, and I was to ask this, are you trainers, are you certified by the state of California to train a certain way? Do you have, do you teach about documentation about, about the, the way that people learn? Did you test them on these things that you're getting them trouble for? And my answer is going to be what training records? There are probably no training records. Hey, Brett, if you have any plans to go to California anytime in the near future, I suggest you not go to Los Angeles County. I'm just throwing it out there. Well, so. I'd go to Chicago before I'd go to California. And that's dude, never. They find out who you are. And you're, they're going to have people waiting for you, dude, is what I'm thinking. Travis, I know Travis agrees with me. The, uh, go, go ahead. Well, I'll tell you what, Travis, go, go ahead. And if you back me up on the Brett thing, we'll play some more polka music for you. I hear Brett's getting that cyber truck from Tesla and they say it's bulletproof and he's going to go to Chicago wow. and that. <laughs> that was so, I mean, let me just say this chip. First off, I don't expect chief Michael Moore to support any of his officers. Cause this is the same guy that couldn't even support the thin blue line flag last year, which is insanity, right? If you can't support something that simple, how are you going to support him on a legal justified shooting? And this there's a lot to discuss here, and so I'll try to pare this down. First off, uh, Civilian Review Board or Chief Michael Moore, who agreed with Civilian Review Board, you don't get to gather additional information and then apply that to that incident. Those officers should be judged based on what they knew at that time. And what they knew at that time was this man was in a house that wasn't his. He was violating a protective order. That's why the 911 call came in. The wife was present. So they couldn't just walk away and wait for social workers. Okay, There's, there may be a time and a place for social workers, but it's not during a a man that's that's threatened violence and committing a crime in someone else's home. That is not that is not when you wait for a social worker. And so they did what law enforcement is supposed to do. That's why we were called and not a social worker to that scene. But once they got there, I think we're once again we we talk about this almost every show, Chip. We're seeing the really downfall of what, what they would call de-escalation training. And it's getting people hurt. It's getting people killed and probably going to get an officer or two fired, unfortunately, because we keep telling these officers that if someone is displaying violence, that we need to keep talking to them and keep talking to them and build rapport. And what happens is, is instead of just walking in there and putting handcuffs on a guy that should have been under arrest for violent protective order, we let him wander around, meander around, argue his way around, which is just giving him time to make a decision. Then we let him walk into the kitchen where there's knives. And so more wants to talk about the tactics of not calling social workers. I'll talk about the tactics about not taking action quicker. That's probably not the tactics he's talking about. And that's, I don't blame the officers. That's what we're putting in their head. We are brainwashing officers to do this, to put themselves in a bad position. And then when deadly force is warranted, we then tell them to pull a taser out, which is what happened here. We better get a hold of this chip or we won't find anybody to do this damn job. I'll tell you that right now, because they're putting these officers' lives at risk by putting them in that situation and not giving them the tools, resources, and training to do the job effectively. Uh, it's unfortunate the man had to get shot. And, you know, it's unfortunate this had to go that way, but that wasn't the officer's decision. That was the man's decision that decided to do that. And the officers gave him more than enough time to make a different decision. More time, so much time that, you know, they even used a taser when they shouldn't even have had a taser out. Uh, they even let him walk around the house. They shouldn't let him walk around the house. So we need to take more decisive action much, much quicker. And we would see less of this. The problem in Los Angeles is if they would have taken decisive action and quicker action, they'd be getting in trouble for that. And so the really cops here in L.A. are really in a tough situation. I got friends out there that say, they don't even, if it's a medical call, they won't even go because they've been arresting cops when people OD out there. And so 
the cops have a, a, a fear and it's a real fear. And, and, uh, I, I really feel for them. We should all pray for them. I can't believe there's still people out there willing to do the job, but they don't need to, they need to know that the next call they're on, they could be these folks because there is no support in that department and in a lot of departments in California. Wow. That was beautiful. That was beautiful. Major, you know, for the civilians who are watching our show, they just don't understand. I know Brett's got his mic open too. Um, you know, when you get there, I, when the cops get there and they're talking to the female complainant, who's the wife that the injunction order is protecting, he's already broken the law. He can't, you cannot unring the bell when they see him and they go in there. In my mind, I'm going in there to go 10, 15, right? I'm going to arrest this guy. He's already broken the law. He's a criminal. And, and what are you waiting for? So yeah, the dialogue, the conversation, I don't see what the point of that was. I don't know how they do things over there, but, uh, but yeah, it should have been all of, all of like, 30 seconds to grab this guy, put him in handcuffs and then get him out of there. So, um, I, I don't know if you feel differently, Brett, but, uh, every call is every call. Who's who, what their relationship is to each other, what happened, make a decision. If, if they should have, they should have been hands on. We have a crime. You're under arrest, period. You're not going to talk your way out of this. You, there is a crime, make an arrest. The faster you make the arrest, the less defense you're going to get and the fewer lawsuits. But y'all, this is playing right into the anti-cop people's hands. They're, every time this happens, they're loving it. They are loving it. Yeah. Many of these so-called reforms, Chip, and this new idea of de-escalation and all the stuff that we keep seeing play out that we don't make decisions. Have they even looked at the data? We're shooting more people today than before then. Okay. Right. Uh, we're shooting more people using tasers than before tasers. So no one's looking at the data. They throw it against the wall and use it, but then they use it when these things happen. I, the reforms are almost designed to get cops in more trouble. Uh, and leaders, this is a leadership problem. This is a Chief Michael Moore problem. And he's gone against his civilian reward at times, uh, but he on this one, he should have, and he should have held his ground uh, because I, I don't care what you see on video. Oh, it looks ugly. Well, who said shooting people looks pretty? Okay. You, you made the decision to let people see this. You need to defend it because there's no one that knows the law and, and, and best practice better than the chief of police or should be the leadership in that agency. And it's just really horrid what they're doing to these officers. Cause I can only imagine if you work there in LA, man, you don't want to go to the next mental health call. You don't even go. You're, in fact, and here's who gets hurt. The civilians that need help because the next mental health call, they're not going to go in. They're going to call a social worker. And yeah. they're going to let some violent, whatever happens, happens. Because why should you put yourself on the line when you don't have any support? All right. They'll, well, they'll figure it out eventually. Hey, moving along, we've only got a little less than three minutes before our last commercial break. But uh, on LeoFerris.com, it's article titled, Fact Check Was a Retired Police Officer Gunned Down During a Robbery. So this is one that was that was initially put out, um, making it look like it was something it was not. Um, but it talks about... Um, the footage on this particular one, it left uh, two men dead, but not everything is what it seems. It says that um, it shows a former military policeman and a clerk being mercilessly gunned down during a convenience store robbery. It was initially circulated on X or Twitter uh, by a British social media account, and it was titled White Man Murdered by Blacks in a Robbery. Uh, but while um, technically true, the article says that further investigation into the incident revealed that the homicidal robbery took place in South America in Brazil, and it was not the United States, which is what they were inferring. And for added context, it says there was a retired Brazilian officer, Paulo Eduardo. He was killed in a mini market on November the 20th. And it says that one of the suspects aiding the, um, 
I guess, aiding the first armed suspect, allegedly took the retiree's concealed carry pistol as the robbery unfolded. Now, this guy, this um, retired guy, retired cop, military cop, uh, was wearing like an Under Armour shirt. Um, and although he wasn't really aware of his surroundings until he heard the slide go back and he heard the, the he, he, you know, they charged the firearm. And he definitely knew what that sounded like. I see that's when he turned around and looked, but they already had him. So I couldn't tell, and maybe you guys could, whether the gun that he had was visible um, because they took that off of him or not. But he did have, he looked kind of like, kind of like maybe a cop, you know, be, be cognizant of what you're wearing. So um, it goes on to say that using the pistol against its owner, the suspect then shot the clerk before running off with a few of Eduardo's personal effects. And according to a local sources, Metro, Metropolis, it says the two of the suspects were arrested. Third managed to escape. The victim's gun was recovered. 57 years of age at the time of his death, Paulo Eduardo Romalo. Uh, re, uh, I guess, retired from the position of deputy lieutenant of the PM military police. It's the uh, paramilitary organization for Brazil, uh, Brazil's law enforcement. And, and he retired back in 2015. So a sad story, a sad video they have to watch. Uh, but any takeaways from this, guys? About 15 seconds before our next break. Well, I don't like open carry because that's obviously they're going to shoot you first. But I do like concealed carry. But we have to be cognizant of how we're carrying it. Are we trained to carry it that way? When we get it out, are we prepared to use it? Because that's the best chance they are to grab it. And I would say holler at Brett because I bet Galls has some holsters and equipment for you uh, when it comes to concealed carry. All right. Hold that thought. Commercial break. Be right back. All right, guys. You know, no matter how much you know about guns and ammunition or how much you think that you know, there's that knowledge gap. That leaves you confused and missing the complete picture. Gunlearn.com, they've taken the confusion out of learning. And they've actually made it easy. Gunlearn.com is the first and it's the only company that offer a step-by-step program that takes you from your present knowledge level, become a safe, accurate, and competent certified firearm specialist like our panelist, Captain Brett Bartlett. Now, they provide citations from federal law and ATF rulings for every point taught to ensure accuracy. And their training is approved by major forensic organizations, law enforcement agencies, and firearm manufacturers. Since 1996, they've taught everything that Leos, that's law enforcement officers, need to know about firearms and ammunition to all factions of law enforcement. Now, you can start today with online training, or you can register to attend a live seminar. And you can actually get free training for yourself and the personnel at your agency by hosting a seminar at absolutely no cost. So come aboard as one of the most firearm knowledgeable people in the world by joining the folks at gunlearn.com. So, guys. Struggling with the ins and outs of warrantless searches and seizures, and what about the liability of getting it wrong? Say hello to BlueTheGold.com. They translate search and seizure doctrines into clear, straightforward concepts that any officer can relate to, plus they give this training for free thanks to BlueTheGold.com's free weekly webinars. Now, next week, they're doing identifying suspects. Sign up at BlueTheGold.com today. Join thousands of your peers in blue and step up your legal game because, frankly, you and your agency Cannot afford not to. BlueTheGold.com. All right, guys. Welcome back to the Leo Roundtable Law Enforcement Talk Show. Still live from Boss Hog Studios in Plant City, Florida. Captain Brett. First, I'm surprised they let him carry guns in Brazil. I was really shocked by that. Anybody, you think they would be anti-gun. But, you know, the, the person that posted that post, and, and they were proven wrong predictably, but it doesn't matter. You know, you can't shame these people by telling them they're wrong. It doesn't matter. They have an agenda. They, 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 they march forward. I'm telling you, wearing anything that identifies you as somebody who knows anything about guns or self-defense, it's it's a huge mistake. Yeah. You know, I remember seeing a shirt, guy's got a, a profile of a Glock pistol on the shirt. He says, yes, I'm carrying. Are you kidding me? You just open <laughs> yourself up. You just, you're just so stupid. You know, Chip, you know me. I walk around with a black uh, 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 
button up shirt and, and tan trousers and that's it i don't wear anything that would identify me as part of any group any organization or any outlook it's a shame but we just can't do that yeah you know i'm i'm with the uh memorial committee for tampa police and they put out these memorial shirts and there are some of these shirts i just simply can't wear because they have a huge big badge on the on the on the front of them and there's dude there's there's no way you're going to catch me wearing something like that as an advertisement that i'm either active or retired law enforcement and b that i'm freaking packing you know it's just not going to happen if it's got a small little logo on it or something i'll wear that but yeah i don't want to i don't want to slap you know flash in your face um so um i know that usually when we cover these videos from brazil we usually got some you know hot military or or, or law enforcement chick right that ends up shooting some bad guy that that grabbed their purse or kid outside of a of a of a little of a nursery or something so 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 sorry to disappoint on this one but uh but yeah i hate to see a good guy get killed too moving along on our next one we've got we're at rumble and our favorite law enforcement video channel called this is butter unhinged dui suspect rams and injures an officer during a chase in afreda Wow, you have to watch the video, and it, it's a little long. Um, I in my notes here, I've got. I say watch from the beginning, but the pit maneuvers start 13 seconds into the video until the female ends up ramming the officer at two minutes and 17 seconds in. Um, actually, it was only uh, it was only I guess two and a half minutes long, but I have noted that it's worth every second. the The look on this on this woman's face driving this car is she's repeatedly rammed and rammed and rammed she keeps trying to drive away and then she rams into the to the car guys it's just let's get to it in a dramatic overnight pursuit near afreda a 23 year old soap lake woman uh was apprehended after a high-speed chase that left an officer with minor injuries this incident started around midnight on wednesday there were multiple law enforcement agencies involved so the pursuit started when it's rough test yuck i don't know some checklist walking name or something the suspect it's a female 
She flees a traffic stop in Efreda, and she had been reported a suspicious person earlier. So Efreda police, they initially engaged in the chase, but later they terminate it and they pass it to uh, to uh, another agency, the Soap Lake Police and Grant County deputies. So they, they pass it off to two other deputies. I guess she was speeding when she goes in their territory. They say, ah, you know, we're done. So the chase intensifies on the outskirts of Soap Lake and with our female closely followed by law enforcement. Now, a deputy attempts to halt her using spike strips. She avoids them on purpose. Then the pursuit continues until afraid of police deploy spike strips. They deflate three of her tires. She's still going, though. So now we've got uh, Soap Lake Patrol Unit executing a pit maneuver, and it momentarily stops her, but she repeatedly, repeatedly manages to free her vehicle from the pit maneuvers, causing significant damage to both her car and the officer's car. It's amazing that this piece of crap she's driving is still driving down the road because it's got fenders and crap falling off of it all over the place. The pursuit reaches a climax when the officer employs a pit maneuver for, for an additional time, followed uh, by using his grill guard to push her into a shallow ditch. She still manages to free herself once again. Finally, a coordinated effort between Salt, uh, Soap, Salt Lake, between Soap Lake Police and the deputy, they finally get her uh, vehicle you know, blocked in and um, from escaping, and she's extracted from the car, arrested on multiple charges, including looting a cop, DUI, suspended license, secondary malicious mischief, and reports indicate that she has a history of DUI, as you think, contributing to her current suspended license. And as for Soap Lake police officer, he had to get treated by a chiropractor after complaining of uh, back pain that he sustained upon impact during the pursuit. And uh, I guess his agency went on the cheap. They sent him to a chiropractor instead of having some other stuff done. But Travis Yates. Well, this looks like a commercial for Toyota Prius, to be honest with you. <laughs> and I don't know what is worse. Uh, anyone driving a Toyota Prius or a cop that say they got hurt by a Toyota Prius. So I don't know which one is worse, but uh, yeah, when you say you got to watch this one, you got to watch this one. It sort of uh, reminds me of a pretty cool Disneyland ride at some point. Uh, because, you know, the Priuses really aren't uh, going to hurt anybody. I'm sure there wasn't even a dent on that car when she was ramming it. Uh, you know, I've lifted those up with one finger in the past. And I, I don't believe in profiling, Chip, at all. But if I did. But. <laughs> if you're a female driving a Prius with a vegetarian bumper sticker, you need a talking to. Right? You need, you need a discussion about uh, what America is all about. That's just my two, two cents. You know, thanks, Travis. You know. Brett, we just, we just, well, last year we went to uh, Georgia in the mountains and we, my wife and I rented a Prius. Dude, that is the, that is the last time I'm ever renting a Prius, especially at nighttime, driving around, you know, uh, driving around, you know, corners and stuff on a mountain that you're about ready to drive off of. And the lights are so dim, not to mention the power issue and the gas mileage was horrible. Captain Brett. I, uh, I agree with Travis. I would have gone back to the station and Sarge goes, man, what happened to your car? I go, it's all me, Sarge. It's all me. It's all me. Uh, I did not try to stop a Prius. That's all my bad. I'll take the hit. I'll take my suspension. I'm walking right now. Give me 20 days. I'm leaving. Secondly, I'm going to go start looking at a Prius. Wow, you got, they're, they're, they're badass, man. You're making me think now. Make me second, second, second guess myself, Brett. Um, you know, on, a, on another note, I think we've got enough time to get this one in. On Police One, judge orders to end Kansas Highway Patrol two-step. It's not like the two-step like in a country bar doing the two-step, all right? All right, Producer Jimmy. It's a two-step tactic. More training for troopers is what they want. 
So in Topeka, Kansas, federal judge on Monday ordered the Kansas Highway Patrol to stop using its two-step tactic during traffic stops as part of a sweeping court-mandated overhaul of the agency's practices. So U.S. District Court Judge Catherine Vertrill, so it's a female. She probably drives a Prius is what I'm thinking, Major Travis. But uh, she issued a four-year injunction against the Highway Patrol after ruling in July. The agency violated the constitutional rights of motorists and how it conducted traffic stops. The length of the order effectively places troopers of the leaders under long-term judicial supervision. Uh, I wonder if this is like one of those, uh, you know, like one of those uh, mandates they do. I don't know. Their leaders are under long-term judicial supervision, allowing the judge to keep an eye on their procedures and practices. I wonder if she's getting paid for this. Uh, when stopping vehicles in Kansas highways, troopers are now prohibited from giving any weight to the fact that a motorist is traveling to or from a drug source state. And troopers who want to keep questioning motorists after traffic stop has ended, they now have to tell them the stop has ended and they don't need to answer any questions. Wow. The injunction comes in a long-running lawsuit after the agency filed uh, by the ACLU of Kansas on behalf of motorists. So the lawsuit took aim at the Kansas two-step. Now, here's what the Kansas two-step is. Troopers at the end of a traffic stop take a couple steps away from the stop vehicle, and then they come back to ask more questions. The purpose of the maneuver is to establish a voluntary encounter with the motorist, but Judge Fertrell found the questioning was not truly consensual. A minute and 15 seconds, guys. Tear well, it up, I think, Travis. I think this got thrown out because they called it a bad name. You know, if you call something the two-step, that's going to garner attention. If it was called the, the tactical turnaround or something, maybe they would have left that alone. Listen, I think we're overcomplicating this, and I would only assume we got here because the, the, the state police were probably asked about stopping this and held their ground, and it got to a federal judge because this seems like overkill. You know, uh, this is not unique. Uh, interdiction officers are experts at this. You get done with the traffic stop and you say, listen, you're free to go. Do you mind if I search though, even though you're free to go? And that, that is within the bounds of most case law out there. But I think, I think the highway patrol overcomplicated about doing the two-step. And I think they probably, uh, we overcomplicated this by getting a federal judge involved. This seems to be much to do about nothing, to be honest with you. All right. Yeah. They just got to wear that different hat. Brett, 22 seconds. If this is advertised as, as a tactic, somebody did the wrong thing. This is just police work. It's just police work. You get into a, a conversational circus with the, with the driver. And sometimes they submit, sometimes they don't. It's not our problem. You should know what your rights are. But if I ask you questions and you answer me, that's not my fault. All right. Well, great show, guys. Thanks so much uh, for being on the show. I think, I, Travis, I think you're coming back tomorrow, aren't you? Tomorrow and Thursday, so so excellent. So I usually take this time to talk about the, the Wounded Blue. The WoundedBlue.org is Randy Sutton's 501c3 that are helping cops out, you know, in a, in a world of hurt. Also, guys, you can find more about Travis Yates, or he likes me to say Major Travis Yates. That's when I'm not calling him Dr. Travis Yates, but it's at TravisYates.org. And, of course, yeah, Brett Bartlett. Um, that is Exumbra Defense Solutions at ExumbraDefense.com. So, guys, please check them out. And uh, I always want to uh, have you guys support you know, our sponsors, you know, they're doing uh, a great deed by helping getting our content to you guys. So please, you know, check them out and support them. Uh, Gulls, aufire.com, gunlearn.com, bluethegold.com, mymedicare.live. Also a shout out again to Brian Burns for the free press at tampafp.com. And if you guys have never been the Red Voice Media at redvoicemedia.com, do that. They're carrying our content. Thanks to Ray Dietrich. Hope everybody has a wonderful day.